Welcome back to Hard Facts with Sandra Ezekwisle. All right, she's taking around the world in two minutes. I'm brought to you back here on Hard Facts. I am Sandra Ezekwisle. What should police reform look like? We started this conversation last Thursday and we're going to keep it going for a few days because, like I said, I think that's the question that we should spend most of our energy answering as a nation. The reason we're here, don't forget, is because young people said we are tired of facing police brutality and we want it to stop. All of us want to improve, we want to improve uh, policing. But first of all, we have to answer questions like, what will that reform look like? What specific policy actions need to be taken? Who has the power to take them? How do we get those people to act? If we don't answer those questions, we just end up with very vague requests. And we don't really uh, put any weight. These requests don't really have any weight. Now, here's our big hard fact for today. All police recruitment is coordinated centrally by the head of police. Uh, head of police college in Ekeja. All police recruitment is coordinated centrally by the head of police uh, police college in Ekeja. Now with me again to talk about reforming uh, the police is Chief Andy Obofurbo. He started the conversation with me on Thursday. Hopefully he'll stay with me for the duration of this conversation. Welcome back, Chief. Great to be here. Now, we have a lot more to say about police uh, recruitment, and we're going to try and finish it up today. On Thursday, we talked about police recruitment. We talked about the educational requirements. Uh, Chief of Operable told us um, that uh, it should be increased. The educational requirements should be increased to a tertiary degree. Right now, it's um, school living certificate uh, for some ranks and YX certificate for other ranks. But... Um, um, Chief of Oprobo told us last week that the best thing would be for all of these um, certificates, all of these requirements to be increased, right? Yes, definitely. I mean, just have it all as a, as a tertiary, tertiary degree as a, as a requirement, OND, HND, bachelors. I mean, we have a, a surplus of graduates who, need, who are looking for meaningful work and as far as, as I'm concerned, police work is something that requires a fair level of shrewdness, a fair level of understanding of the law, which I don't think primary or secondary degrees um, certificates in Nigeria inspire confidence as, as being able to, to deliver that. And Lagos, that's my first question for you. Do you agree with my guest that the standard should be raised? He says it should be a tertiary diploma like OND, HND or bachelors. Some say it should be YEC. What do you say? Facebook, Nigeria Info 99.3. Remember, I'm not in the live studio, so I can't take calls. Um, I can also take your tweet at Nigeria Info FM. We also talked about the recruitment, uh, recruitment process. You explained how applicants apply to the state command and the state commissioner decides the ones to recommend for them. So there's a danger there of patronage and favoritism. You also talked about malpractice during the recruitment exam and how you think the exam should be computer-based. By the way, if you didn't listen to this interview on Thursday, that's when we launched this series. It's going to be a series. So uh, if you didn't listen to it, go and find this particular episode from Thursday on our podcast. 
Hard Facts with Sandra Ezekwesli is available as a podcast. So you can listen to previous shows, you can listen to previous episodes, you can catch up on something that I said that you were not quite sure. If I called out a number on air, for instance, and you missed it, go and listen to the show again on our podcast. Any of your podcast streaming services, there's Google, there's Apple, there's Stitcher, there's Radio Republic, all kinds, it's available. Hard Facts with Sandra Ezekwesli. Now, back to Shifobo Furubo, who talked about malpractice um, um, last week. And he thought that uh, the exams should be computer-based and set by bodies outside of the police force directly for now, yes? Definitely. I mean, you exam malpractice is a, is a, is a nationwide problem. It, we have, it's pervasive, it's systemic. So we need to take the same, all the same measures that the most successful exam bodies have taken. So when it comes to exams, I, I don't think anybody, any, there's any organization or body in Nigeria that can rival JAMP and the UTME exam. Um, we, we take that as maybe not a global gold standard, but at least definitely the national gold standard. They've been able to, as much as possible, root out malpractice. And that's simply because they've taken, they've separated the good from the yam. They've basically um, made it a computer-based exam. They've made it such that um, we, nobody in the school system is able to see the um, exam before the exam comes out. It comes up from an external body. So let's apply the same thing to the police exam, the, entr- the police entrance exams. Um, remove them from the police. Let the police not have a direct say. What, what the police should be able to do is, you know, because some people will say, oh, what about the expertise? Okay, so let's even, um, let's assume for a moment that um, within the police force, that's where the, or the police training college, that's where the expertise exists for setting this exam. Where you can have a situation whereby the police uh, police college, or the, you know, and, and the, the police training hierarchy creates like a, a you know a, a cornucopia, a, a selection of, of exam of exam questions. Maybe if you test is a hundred questions, let them create a thousand questions, and those thousand questions are sent to the external body. Somebody looks at them, assesses them for their um, you know for acceptability, and then chooses them at random. So uh, so when when it's done that way, it's impossible for the uh, for the for the police hierarchy to have the questions answered ahead of time and feed them to their preferred candidates. Then these are the kind of things that we have to do to create some sort of transparency in the process. Now, we also talked about referral. Because under the Police Act, when somebody applies to be a police officer, the police command is supposed to look into their references, do a bit of background check. And you told us how the referral system isn't being respected right now. So you talked about the need for standing orders that direct ex- Exactly what types of references are needed, right? Yes, because right now it is very ad hoc. You know, it's just there. The language is very vague. The language in the police act basically says every applicant must bring references. Right. It doesn't say what what those references should be, what type of people they should be from, and it doesn't really put the police command on the hook to say if you don't see this particular type of reference, you you cannot accept the application, or this type of reference is not good enough. It doesn't really do that for the. Um, it doesn't really do that for the um, for the police command. So you end up with a situation where the police command can just pretend it didn't see the references and you know reject the candidate, or pretend it did see references that weren't really there and accept a candidate that doesn't really have the full backing of the community. Because remember that um, the whole point of the reference, um, the, the references exist so that um, before a person is accepted to even start applying to be a police officer. 
there is some level of confidence that the community holds that person in good standing. The person is not an arm robber. The person is not a miscreant. The person is not a ne'er-do-well. Yes, we, the community, know such a person. And yes, we will be comfortable with this person policing us or policing some other community. And right now, the referral system is failing to do that because it can be ignored. All right. So that's a recap of what we talked about on Thursday. But uh, I, I recommend you listen to the entire conversation. Seriously, it was really good. Hard facts with Sandra is the first day. Find the podcast. Listen to the one from Thursday. Now, um, before we dive back into recruitment, Shifabofurbo, I want to ask you about the Police Service Commission. You mentioned them a few times on Thursday. And I got a lot of messages from people who were listening asking what exactly the PSC is, the Police Service Commission. What exactly are they? What exactly are their powers? Okay, great. Yeah, so the PSC, well, like the name suggests, they operate sort of like the Civil Service Commission, but they are doing that for the police. So what what, what does the Service Commission do? What they do is they they are in charge of um, governing how a government agency uh, recruits, trains, promotes, disciplines um, its its staff. So that's the job of the Police Service Commission, strictly for the police. Now, they are empowered by two documents, the Constitution of the Federal Republic and the Police Service Commission Act. Those are the two documents that give power, the two legal instruments, I should say, that give power to the PSC. Now, according to those two documents, nobody else has ultimate power over recruiting police, training police, or, and setting the guidelines for those things, promoting police officers, disciplining police, you know, disciplining police officers when they err, and also compensation of police officers. Those those responsibilities are fully vested in the Police Service Commission. And then the Police Service Commission now has the power to delegate those responsibilities as and when it sees fit. So really, um, what the Constitution has done and what the Police Service Commission has done is, it, in a way, has given us an, a, a body, an agency that can technically protect us from the police. Because this Police Service Commission is completely separate from the police. They're not part of the police force but they have all this power over the police. The idea being that we, the citizens, are able to interface with the PSC, and then the PSC, based on that interface, will take actions on the police accordingly. That we can look at what their rules are, their guidelines are, and say, yes, we agree with this, no, we disagree with this. And based on what we as a society agree on, the Police Service Commission will hold the police accountable and work to improve the police force. Now, the question becomes, has that been happening? And I think the easy answer there is no. So now the question in turn becomes, why hasn't it been happening? Why hasn't the PSC been fully alive to its responsibilities and its, its duties under the Constitution? And it comes down to how the PSC is set up, uh, how it is organized, structured, and the resources at its disposal. Basically, the PST doesn't have enough resources to do the job it has been given. So the PSC works kind of like INEC or many of these other commissions in the sense that it's a commission that is in a central, you know, in Abuja somewhere. But it's meant to have like you know, sub-commissions and sub-offices in all the states of the federation, right? And it does. So it has 
two, two levels of staff or three levels. At the top, you have the commission who are appointed officers, uh, appointed by the president and um, uh, confirmed by the Senate, just like ministers or the INEC chairman or, and the INEC national commission. which also a case where INEC national commissions were going through that process. So you have those guys at the top. Well, there are a few guys. There are less than a dozen, right? So they can't do the entire job of the police service commission. It's, they can't they can't monitor police activity in 36 states and the federal capital over almost maybe 300,000 police officers. So they need help, right? So under the PST Act, they have a secretariat in Abuja there, inside um, inside inside one of the ministries that gives them sort of like a secretarial staff for their record keeping and all. But again, that's still limited to Abuja. They are supposed to have, you know, offices and subcommittees operating in every state of the federation, or I would even argue in every local government, are able to extend the work of the police commission so that in every local government, you have the police, you know, command there, the area command of the police, but side by side with it, you have a committee from the police service commission that is looking into their activities, collecting information, passing it up to Abuja, and then when issues like promotion or discipline, all those issues come up, um, the Abuja can ask that local committee for guidance and for um, references. But that's not happening right now. So then now you ask the question, well, okay, if the PSD, the Police Service Commission, doesn't have those operating commissions at state and local government level, how is it doing its job? How is it um, policing the police? How is it monitoring the activities of the police? Well, what ends up happening is the PSD simply relies on the police to give it information. So when it comes to discipline or promotion of a police officer, you have a very funny situation where the PSD, the Police Service Commission, who is the regulator, is asking the police, hey, hey come, these um, inspectors that are coming up for promotion, hard and day, then they work well, and then the police commissioner says, oh, yeah, they are very good boys, they are very strong officers, very, very standard officers. And then the PSG says, okay, and rubber stamps the decision taken by the police chain of command, which obviously defeats the point, uh, defeats the purpose. The whole point was the PSG should be dependent from the police and be able to independently make its own as, uh, assessment, as, assessment and make recommendations for promotion and discipline of officers accordingly. But that's not happening. And they're also, by the way, supposed to be doing that for training. They're supposed to be able to, as a PSD, assess how police officers are re- are trained, or even before that, how police officers are recruited, and then based on that, um, make recommendations for changing and improving. So when we see that things are not working the way they should work, part of the reason is that the PST has not done its job, and the reason the PST has not done its job is that it's not adequately staffed and equipped to do that job. What a way to break it down. Thank you so much. If you're joining the show. You're listening to Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. We're having a conversation we started on Thursday about police reform. What should it look like? What should police reform look like? And uh, so far, uh, the chief has been kind enough uh, to answer questions since last week. And he's back again doing more justice to the subject. Now, let's come back to recruitment, chief. We talked about the exam last week. Every applicant has to take it. How is it possible that people who pass this exam 
still end up as police officers not being able to do the job. I asked you the same question on Thursday, and I'm asking it again for the person who's listening for the first time today. Yes, and I'm glad you did. I'm glad you're asking this question again, because I think it's a fundamental point that people really need to grasp, which is that, look, um, the thing we are using to screen who gets to be a, a police officer and who doesn't is not doing a proper job. Like, our our systems we put in place for selecting police officers are, are failing. And that's why we have a situation where you have the average police officer on the street doesn't know the job. And that's just the truth. We're not saying that, you know, to, to run them down. It's just simply what obtained. The fact that you have police officers on the road mounting checkpoints every day proves to you that they don't know the job. The fact that people are getting arrested for possession of key proves that the police officers don't know the job. So why? It's because the first level, the first problem is that the the, the, the exam or the exams, the different exams that people take to get into the force do not adequately screen for the capacity to do police work. Like that's just, it's just that simple. They are not looking for, asking for the core things that make you know, okay, this person can be a good cop or this person can't be a good cop. That's one problem. The second problem with these exams is, again, the goat and the yam are in the same room. You have a situation where uh, police, the police hierarchy itself is the one responsible for setting the exam, administering the exam, invigilating the exam, marking the exam, announcing the results of the exam. Now, that same police hierarchy are also the ones who bring in the recruits and the applicants. So if I am a police commissioner and you are my niece and you have been brought to me to make sure that I get you into the police and then I put your name in there and still the person who is going to invigilate the exam is working under me and the person who is going to mark the exam is another officer in another town but that officer and I, we have the same ogre who is now an AIG. So I can talk to my AIG and he can talk to that other, his other boy who is marking the exams or who is supervising the marking of exams at police college. When you have that situation on ground, it means that even if you, my niece, failed the exam woefully, we will say you passed. And to quote the police, nothing will happen. So, so you have two problems with the exam. One, the content of the exam is not good enough. And then two, even with that bad content, you still have a glaring way for people who fail to be, to be marked as passed because the police are in charge of recruiting people and they are using patronage to make sure those people that they recruit pass. So what aspect of the content of the police exam needs to change? Um, so we just basically need to bring that thing into the 21st century. All over the world, you're seeing that um, there's been a shift so that these written exams at the beginning, um, they, they, they rely on them. Um, sorry, they, they test on deductive reasoning. You need people who can, who can put um, three and five together and not come up with 35. So it, it's deductive reasoning. It's also, the test also double as some stuff like psychological exam in many ways. So that you're already getting an idea of the um, the mental framework of the person, the ability to think on their feet. Um, basically, we have to move away from being a fighting force to a thinking force. You know, moving away from a, a force of occupation to a force of protection. 
And protecting a civilian population is all about being able to think on your feet as a police officer, being able to, you know, figure it out, analyze, being analytical, being able to understand and interpret the law. All those things are not really being tested for right now. I mean, I've seen reports over the weekend of mayhem occurring in some parts of the country and the police being called and the response of the police being, they say, make no <laughs> you know, that just shows you the mindset. So basically, you know, to a man with a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And so the police in Nigeria is, is a man with a hammer. They've been trained that every problem is solved by violence. You beat up the, the suspect, you shoot the suspect, you carry the suspect, you hang him from, you hang him from ceiling to him confess. You burn him with, 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 um, with, um, with, with ring boiler. That's how the police has been trained. So you now tell them to go and keep the peace without using violence. They are confused. Let's talk about that some more after the break. Uh, also, after the break, I'm going to be finding out from Chikobo Furbo who has the power to implement these changes. I mean, if Nigerians want to change the way the police test is administered, for instance, who should they be talking to? What should they be demanding? Uh, and we'll also talk about supply and demand, which is another aspect of, uh, of recruitment. You can't say let's hire the best the best are not applying. So some people are saying if you want a better educated, more decent police force, you have to increase their salaries. I'll find out what the chief thinks about that. I'm Sandra Ezekwisley. This is Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. Police recruitment, police reform, a series we've launched for the rest of this week. Don't go away. Welcome back to Hard Facts with Sandra Ezekwisle. Yes, welcome back. Thank you so much for staying with us. I am Sandra Ezekwisle. We're having a conversation on today's show with uh, somebody who is a fintech um, executive who was also a policy consultant for the World Bank for at least a decade. And so he knows um, how policy reforms should go. And he also knows about recruitment. Recruitment, because today we're talking about recruitment specifically. Our big hard fact is that all police recruitment is coordinated centrally by the head of police college in Ikeja. Um, he was with us last week. I'm talking about Chifani Obofurbo now. He started this conversation with us on Thursday. And I've said, of course, that you can go ahead and um, listen to that episode on our podcast, Hard Facts with Sandra Ezekwesteli. Uh, we're having this conversation, I'm sure you know by now. But we have to talk about what specific policy actions need to be taken with police reform. What will that reform look like? Who has the power uh, to make um, you know these policy actions? How do we get the people who have the power to act in our favor? Because if we don't answer these questions, if we if we if we don't solve these problems, we'll just end up with very vague requests, right? So when we're asking for something to happen, we need to be specific about what exactly we're asking for. Now, before the break, I mentioned that I was going to um, talk to the chief about what um, the content of the police uh, exam uh, needs to be. What's the new change? Uh, um, that uh, the police exam needs to reflect. And I was also asking him before the break, who has the power to implement these changes? If Nigerians want government to change the way that the police test is administered, who should they be talking to? What should the demand be exactly? Is it for Bufurbo? 
Great. So when it comes to the exams, like I said, um, or like you said, rather, you have the police college in Ikeja who are the first line in terms of responsibility for these tests. Um, it's not just the police college itself, but the entire like training architecture of the police force, which is vested in the head of training there in Ikeja. But even they operate based on guidelines. Now, those guidelines are set by standing orders issued by the Inspector General of Police. So you see there are layers. So first layer is the is the training apparatus in the police force itself. The second layer is the IG of police who gives instructions, standing orders to the training architecture to say these are the things we want to look for in you know, these are the things that you should have in your in, in the exam, the type of things that the exam should select for and select against. Then even beyond the IG and above the IG, if you will, you have as always, the Police Service Commission. Remember I said the Police Service Commission is empowered by the Constitution to supervise the recruitment of police officers as well. So anything that happens under the umbrella of recruitment, the PSD has power to, um, to regulate it. So um, what you need is... Uh, you, so, so when you look at it that way, so when you ask who has the power... It's those three. Um, it's those three organs. Um, and so when you look at it, to my mind, it's always best to go to the top, to the, to the very source of the power. So you go to the very source of the power, and that's the PSP, the Police Service Commission. They when what when PSP says yes, IG can't say no. I see. When PSP says yes, Police College can't say no. I see. So. Um, it's always best to go with them. Because the constitution gave them power. Um, Sandra, we just saw um week before last, I believe, was it last week, where the uh, IG, the Police Service Commission took the president and the, and the IG to court over police recruitment. You know, these 10,000 constables that um, they wanted to recruit for community policing. Right. And the PST said, look, we don't, we're not saying it's a bad idea. We're not saying it's wrong. We're saying the IG doesn't have the power to recruit police officers right. in, or set up a system for recruiting police officers that does not have the approval of the PST can happen. Uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. And the government, you know, said we no agree. So the matter went to court. Now the appeal court has said, yeah, the constitution is clear. The PST is the only one that can that can determine and govern recruitment. So any step anybody takes, even if it is the president himself who is ultimately in charge of the police, even if the president himself says, I want to do recruitment in this way, and the PSC says, no, we do not agree, it don't end. The PSC is the ultimate law when it comes to recruitment. So if Nigerians say, look, we don't like the content, the current entrance exams for police officers, we want this content to change, uh, this is the type of content we think should be on the, on, on the exam. The easiest way to ensure that this is done is to go straight to the Police Service Commission and and pressure the Police Service Commission to issue directives and say, from now on, this is the nature of recruitment. From now on, the entrance exam into the police service must have this particular thing, A, B, C, D, E. This, it, it must test for this type of thing, one. Two, it should, it should not no longer test for this type of thing, G-H-I-J-K. And, or you can say, or you can look, look at it a different way and let them basically create um, a, a whole new, not just a, a, a exam guideline, 
but an entire new architecture for creating those guidelines and say, okay, from now on, we have a subcommittee here inside the Police Service Commission. And this subcommittee or subcommission is from now on is going to be responsible for creating the guidelines for entrance exams into the police force. And they will communicate those guidelines to the Inspector General of Police who will communicate them to the formation responsible for training and, and for, for, for setting the recruitment and setting the entrance exam. Like that is like the, the most powerful, almost permanent way to do it. But if people decide they don't want to go and knock on the doors of the Police Service Commission and instead it wants, they want to do it within the police itself, then it's second best, but it can still be done. In that situation, go to the Inspector General of Police. Because again, the Inspector General of Police has the power under the police under the police act and the police service commission he has the power to give standing orders to the police about what, how recruitment takes place the only person who can contradict his standing orders is the police service commission but absent any instruction from the PSP then the IG can take action so if we can't knock on the door of the PSP which I think we should and can then the next best thing is to meet the IG and now let the IG be the one to say, yes, um, he has a standing order to the police college. From now on, this is what um, this is what police exam should look like. That's option two. But there's option three. If you are also afraid to go and knock on the IG's door, which I don't understand where it could be, they've been saying that they want police reform, that they're ready to do police reform. So I think if Nigerians are willing, Nigerians should go and meet them. But failing that, you can go to the um, you know the police college as they are setting the exams for um, the exams. A dialogue can be held with them uh, because ultimately the police act gives the head of the uh, of, of the chief recruiter uh, full power over writing the exam. If the IG are uh, setting the guidelines for the exam, if the IG and the PSP are silent, so those are the three doors on which Nigerians can knock if they want to make a a, a better and more uh, more effective uh, uh, police exam, entrance exam for the police. All right, very detailed. That's what I love about uh, having you over her on the show. Lagos, do you think that a first school leaving certificate is sufficient for entry into the police? Who do you think should be responsible for referring people for recruitment into the police? Should police entrance exams be removed from police control? If you are a police officer, I would actually like to hear from you. Tell us about your recruitment process. Now, of course, you can't call us because I'm not in the live studio, but definitely leave your thoughts for me on Facebook. Facebook is Nigeria Info 99.3. Rotimi Fakure, for instance, says, I think it's high time. The media focused more on which tiers and arms of our governmental institutions handle what as enshrined in the Constitution. We've got uh, Yusuf Aziz who says the problem is the recruit. The re- problem is the recruitment is not transparent. Most of the top officers have their candidate. Yes, you have mentioned this and mentioned um, that this is one of the reasons why recruitment should be taken away from the police, made independent of the police. Okoli Damian Chimuke says, I don't really think higher education certificate can really put a stop to the corruption in the police. We have those senior officers who are DPOs and graduates sending their primary and secondary school certificate holders to go out and extort from the people. I think the way to go 
is a whole ref- in a whole reform, if anyone found corrupt should be dismissed, court-martialed, and charged with hard labor. With this threat of them knowing that they are at risk of disgrace and loss of their job, they will sit up. Okay. Mubarak Abdullahi says, I think the minimum qualification for the police should be OND and there should be regular training for them. We're going to talk about training tomorrow. They should also be made to run a psychiatric test and they should be banned from taking hard drugs and alcohol. And they should be well remunerated and monitored to ensure that they diligently discharge their duties. Chief what do you think about uh, the comments we've received so far? Okay, so yeah, the, the point about psychiatric evaluation is a very good one. Um, it's actually it's actually there in the rules. So the Police Act says that all recruits should be subjected to psychological psychiatric testing, etc., psychiatric screening. Because at the end of the day, you're giving people guns, you're giving people the power over life and death. You want to make sure that they have the adequate levels of mental health to handle that responsibility. Um, the problem we have with that is, again, as with every other thing involving the police, even the psychiatric testing is being done, in quotes, in-house by the police. And so questions arise as to whether um, the police are doing an adequate job of testing themselves, uh, for giving themselves psychiatric, psychiatric screening, or if, or if the police... I say, hey, all of us well now, and going back into the street. You know, that's, that's the big question here. Uh, you know, because the truth of the matter is, when you seek us, and a lot of, we talk to a lot of Nigerians, and they tell you the same thing. Um, if you can't trust the police, if you can't trust SARS, because SARS are, are killing people on the streets, you can't trust um, anti-court. If you can't trust, um, we've seen reports, police snatching ballot boxes on election day. We've seen all kinds of things. If there's no particular aspect of policing that you can point to and you can say, oh, yes, this one is above average and it's pure, it's transparent, and it's not corrupt, why do we suddenly believe that it's the psychiatric testing inside the police force that will now be transparent and not corrupt? So, um, again, and I think my, my opinion about that is the same opinion I have about the entrance exam, which is the screening should be removed from the hands of the police. So, again, I believe we should set up structures to screen police officers, psychologically, psychiatrically screening, that go beyond the, um, the you know, go beyond, that are outside of the scope of, 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 and control of the police. Again, that's where the PSC comes in. Because the PSC, because it's already enshrined in law. The Police Act has already enshrined it that before you can become a police officer, we have to check your head. Great. That now gives the PSC, who are in charge of recruitment, the power to determine how that screening should take place what that screening should look like. So I think, again, the PST should by now have a committee that handles that, that handles putting down in place a framework that allows external, um, even if it's not just, even if it's not external testers, but at least external supervision and validation of the testing and screening process that the police is conducting on its applicant so that we can know with certainty that, okay, you know what, because loose Lagos um, University you know, psychiatrists are involved, um, psychiatrists from the private sector, you know, some sort of external body was set up, a panel to review what was done. We can now take with confidence the results coming from the police that all these candidates are actually, they have actually passed psychiatric screening. So um, I think that's a very important point. And the, the second comment you read about um, the issue of, you know, 
um, the educational requirement is not as much of an issue because the police were already there will are sending their people to go and do instead that penalties for 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 um, penalties for misconduct to be made more more severe. Well I think uh, when we talk about reform, the thing with reform is that there's no single bullet. There is no single solution, no panacea. You know, the, the, the police are as police force is as rotten as it has come because many things are wrong. So yes, one of the things that are that is wrong is punishments are not severe enough for misconduct. Yes. That's one of the problems. But it's not the only problem. Also, having low educational requirements for entry is another problem. That's a problem, actually, because, you know, with life, eh, it's not just about punishing people. It's not just about punishment. It's about prevention. You try and prevent the thing from happening. You try and, So what you try and do is you try and get the best people first to reduce the likelihood that one of them will do the wrong thing. Right. So you get the best people first. But of course, you know that the best people will not always do the right thing. So when you not have the best plan, right, you have systems in for catching them to do the wrong thing. Right. Then, even even if you have the best systems in place for catching people, you know that some people won't be caught. Some people will still go ahead and do the right thing and do the wrong thing before they are caught. Then you need to have punishment. And so there's room for all of that. And of course, since you are, um, you know, Black men to keep coming back. Um, we're going to very soon talk about discipline. I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point. <laughs> I like how I slipped in there that I'm blackmailing him to come back. But yeah, let's talk about another aspect of recruitment, right? Supply and demand. I was having this conversation sometime, and I think we got to the show. She's one of my listeners, a regular. And she called in and she said, um, we need to overhaul the system, get graduates in there. And I remember asking her, how do we make it attractive for the graduates to get in there? You can't say, let's hire the best if the best are not applying. Some people are saying, if you want a better educated, more decent police force, you need to increase salaries. What do you say? Well, yes, I think that's part of it. I think you definitely, um, you have a lot of people who might who might be interested in the police force who are not interested in it today because the compensation levels on paper, on paper, are not great. And that, what I just said there on paper is very important. Okay. Because what is, what's listed as police officer's salary is for a lot of police officers and what they actually take home. Okay. They take home, first of all, at the first layer, you have their salary, 40000 50000 season, whatever it is. So that's what on paper they're supposed to collect. But they are making returns to whoever put them there. So from that 40000 50000 they're getting a deduction, right? right? But then because of that deduction, that's why they now enter the streets to sort everybody and make up the money that they've lost and then some. Right. So you end up a lot of it. Depending on how ruthless you are as a police officer, um, how unscrupulous you are, um, how armed you are, where you're located, which office you can open on the heads of the Nigerians around you, you end up with a lot more than what is listed on your salary, um, on, your, on your pay slip. But now the question now becomes, how many Nigerians, the, the type of Nigerians that we want police force are not the type who will say, eh, the salary is low, but I know I'll make more money there. They also know that who will get in there and have to settle anybody because in the first place, if we've gotten this right, um, they got in there on their own merit. 
that's exactly right, which is why those who currently are benefiting financially from, you know, patronage, extorting officers, don't want a meritocratic system where people get into the police force on their merit. They want a system where they dominate it. So you see that there's now a systemic problem around getting the best. Well, let's say for the sake of argument that we somehow, like, create, turn it into a more meritocratic situation, then definitely we need to start talking about increasing the salaries of new police officers. Now, notice I said that I said new police officers because I think we also have a moral issue here, an ethical issue, which is, it, it reminds me of what you call in a finance, you call it moral, moral hazard. So let's say, Sandra, that I borrow money from you, right? And I'm like, please give me some, lend me some money. And you lend me the money and then I don't pay back the money at the time that I'm supposed to pay the money back. And then eventually I beg you, pastor comes to beg you, imam comes to beg you, and you agree to let me off the hook, and there's no penalty for me at all for not paying back the money. Right. What that does is it emboldens me next time to do the same thing again. So that's what in finance we call moral hazard. You try your best to make sure that there are, you don't reward bad behavior, and you try your best to punish it as much as you can. So now we currently have a current police force where there are so many complaints about the current police force as constituted. We have so many unresolved cases of police brutality, extrajudicial killing. So as an institution, I'm not saying every individual in the police force, but I'm saying that as an institution, the police force is guilty of crimes against the Nigerian people, of murder, of extortion, of rape, of blackmail, of brutality, of battery. So, there is a moral hazard, there is a moral problem with advocating right now for these set of police officers who are currently in office, increases in pay as part of a solution to the problem. But what you just told them is, if you want an increase in salary again, go out and brutalize Nigerians some more, and in, when they're trying to settle the, the problem, increasing your salary will be raised again. Of course, like I always say, the police are not the only group of people in Nigeria who have low salaries. Um, doctors are also also have low salaries, but uh, doctors and nurses. The only most I've heard is NMA is on strike. The nurses are on strike. I've never heard that oh, because doctors are um, being underpaid, that they started um, withholding organs and saying if you don't give us fifty naira now, we're not going to give you back your organ. Which I've, I've never heard that happen. So let's not reward bad behavior. But if we're saying now, okay, going forward, we want to try and reconstitute the new police force. From now on, these new police officers being brought in through this different system, this meritocratic system, we're bringing them in and we're putting them on a new salary scale, different from the old police officers. If you say that to me, I can accept that. Okay. Now let's talk about um, the how. Let's talk about how. How do you fund a whole-scale increase in police salaries? I mean, we've been saying that government broke, even though my listeners don't believe government is broke. But we've said that government is broke, right? So how do we fund a whole-scale increase in police salaries? Uh, yeah, you see, these are, these are the questions. Um, now, so I know your listeners don't like that, like to hear that. I know why. 
I know exactly why. See, here's the thing, eh? Government is broke and government officials are still stealing money from government. The two things can be true, right? The two things can be true. And then when we talk about these things that need to be done, people will say, eh, if we get the money that they are stealing, then we should be able to pay for it. But the truth of the matter is that it won't. Because even the money that they are stealing, eh, it sounds big. It's big money, eh? But the money we need to solve some of these problems is actually even bigger than the money that they are stealing. As amazing as it might sound. Like, I, I, the example I always give is infrastructure, right? Like, the, for infrastructure, like, for roads alone, roads, rail, and other, like, core infrastructure, we need to be talking about spending something like, uh, I think it's like, you know, you know, is it like we need to spend like a couple of trillion every year on that, which we're not spending right now. Because the money is not there. If you count all the money that is being stolen in Nigeria, it won't get up to, in a year. It won't be up to $2 trillion if, it's, if you count it at, at the federal level. So when you look at it that way, you realize that, look, the things we have to spend money on are a lot. Right? So just, um, you know, plugging the leakages in corruption, while necessary, it's very necessary and should be done first, is also not going to be sufficient. We actually still will end up with it still, even if we plug all the leakages, and end all the corruption in Nigeria overnight, we still have a situation where the federal government doesn't have enough money to do everything it needs to do. Simply because worse than corruption is a problem that the federal government is, has, has not encouraged productivity and therefore has not been able to realize better revenues from the economy. So that's the bigger problem even than corruption. Corruption is a, a big problem, but this one is bigger. So having taken that out of the way, yes, we won't be able to, the kind of wholesale increase in salaries that we need for the police, or not just the police, for medical personnel, government's medical personnel, I mean, like public medical personnel, for teachers, for all of that. We don't really have the money to do it. That's just the truth. So it means we have to, at some point, start making some very painful decisions, start making some very, very painful cuts, uh, and we have to, as a nation, sit down and decide what things need to be sacrificed for what. But definitely, I agree, it starts with also curbing the corruption problem. All right, that's why we have to wrap it today. But uh, thank you so much for for doing this with us today. Now, before we go, let me quickly ask you, if you can quickly give me an answer, very quickly, how long do you think it would take to reform the recruitment process in the police force? Uh, the recruitment process can be can be changed very very quickly. We found very quickly. It's one of the few things that can be a very quick win. What we need, because look, it's not rocket science. You have hundreds of other countries in the world with very good recruitment processes. We look at what their exams are like. What we need is to set up. What we need is a PSD, the Police Service Commission, to set up committees in every local government. Those committees have to coordinate with the local communities there in terms of recruitment. Every community should have a representative who can vouch for people being um, um, being given references for um, for recruitment to the police. Those names should be published. But members of the community who have a problem with somebody can object. Once you have that, then you need to like recreate computer-based testing with curriculum taken from other countries that have better recruiting. That's really all you need to start. Okay. That's uh, where we run. We'll bring you hard facts again tomorrow. But if you missed this interview or you missed the big weekend, please. 
go to our podcast and listen again. Our podcast is Hard Facts with Sandra Ezekwesili. In the meantime, I'm online as S. Ezekwesili. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Sandra Ezekwesili. Jipobo Faribo is a policy analyst who is a fintech exec and spent a lot of time consulting for the World Bank. Thank you so much for joining us on Hot Facts. Great to be here, Sam. Until tomorrow, those are Hot Facts, Vegas. Stay here for the news and then conversations with Profile.